local churches are God's plan for this age. We mentioned that before. The local church, somebody said it this way, and I thought, I think it's a good phrase, local church is the hope of the world in our day. For this age, the local church is God's plan. And the local church, because of that, is the hope of the world. And this was a mystery that was revealed in the New Testament, but it's, a, it's God's open secret now, but it's easy to lose sight of it and to not think as highly of God's plan as we ought to think or be encouraged about it. So this is what we want to do. I've seen this so much more clearly. I've taught through Ephesians before, but on this pass through Ephesians, it's been so powerfully clear that God intends to display his glory in the church. Lois and I have taken a couple of vacations. They, they've been to visit our kids and grandkids, and, and we got to be gone over the Lord's Day, and, and, we, and it's in a time zone where we could get up early and we could watch you guys worship online and sing and watch Pastor Jordan preach and teach, and it's a thrill to go to those churches that where our kids are and where our grandkids are being raised and see that there are people in those churches just like you who tend to the flowers and who teach the Sunday school and who play the instruments and who faithfully preach the gospel like it's a franchise with quality control. Pastor in Texas, just a precious man, and, and when he got done, I heard him, there were folks that Spanish was their first language, and so you could hear the pastor as he was greeting people, and they were leaving, trying to speak Spanish to some children that were walking out. And, and they were doing everything they could to welcome my little grandsons who were new to the area and unfamiliar with the children's program. And they were doing everything they could to make those grandsons comfortable. They knew their names. They came and got them early. My heart went out to these good people that were doing church in a simple way, but in a faithful way, a long way from here. And then we went out to Oregon in the same way, just a good, faithful church. And, and I was singing the Iwana song to my granddaughter. She's like, how did you know that? How did you know that? And I'm like, we sing it at our church too. And uh, it was great. And then uh, so encouraging to, to know that even in humble and simple like, ways all over the world, God has his clusters of faithful people like you guys that are faithfully trying to do for others, sending kids to camp, supporting various camps and ministries, encouraging one another, looking in on one another, praying for one another, and, and witnessing to neighbors as faithful as you can. It's just so encouraging. And and then to hear the gospel preached so faithfully and so well. You know, last week, Jordan got the, the really good text. Pastor Jordan got a really good, like it's not all good, right? Not, but it wasn't out of precious text of scripture. When he got to the end of his message and he did that thing where he told a story. At the, did you catch that? He told a little story at the beginning. And then he told the rest of the story at the end. And then it was about, it was really hit close to home. I love it when people do that. I was in tears in Oregon early in the morning listening to that and just thinking that's what we want to do here. Glory in the church throughout all generations. Go find somebody who hasn't heard the story yet 
Did you catch what he said? It was the story that he told was of, with a family that came to Laurel, and then they started to witness to others. A, a girl gets invited to church, and then her sisters are invited, and the dad, maybe they get the sequence quite right. People started getting saved. Dad and mom are witnessing to other people. Forty people. There was about 40 people. Jordan said, as a result of that, one family came to the Lord. Eventually, 40 people came to know the Lord. That's how that works. What a wonderful plan God had when he came up with the idea of the, of the church. And so I do want to encourage you today that have invested in the church, that have participated in the church, that have your hope in the church in such a dark age that you're doing a thing that God says is the, is the, the plan, God's plan for our age. When I was a kid, and we've been, I've been involved in pretty modest churches all my life, you wouldn't really think it was a world-shaking organization, you know, on, boots on the ground. You know, here's the 17 elderly ladies at prayer meeting, you know. It just, it doesn't seem like a great confluence of world leaders gathering in a summit. It's just 17 elderly ladies at prayer meeting. And yet, on the back of that, God's church moves and changes lives. And, and this is what this text is about. And that's why when, at the end of that prayer that Jordan was teaching and preaching last week, it says, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that brings us to our text today, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Don't believe your bulletin. I made a mistake. It's not 1 through 6. You do not get off that easy today. You're serious, people. We're going to 16. And, uh, but we, 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 you know this, what, Bible students have often said that Ephesians is like sit, walk, stand. You have chapters one through three, we're seated in the heavens and our position in Christ and our riches in Christ. And then chapters four and five are a walk. Uh, and is, is then, since this is true, this is what can be expected of us. Now we're going to talk about practical applications. This is what we should do as a result of who we are. And then and some have said at the end in chapter 6, it's our warfare. And so, uh, and that's true because you have in chapter 6, you have that, that key passage in the Bible about spiritual warfare. And we, we move into that second section today, the, the very, very direct and practical section about since this stuff is true about this, how should we behave and he just really begins by, and I'll give it to you in a nutshell, then we'll read it. He begins by just saying, by all means, be united around Christ. Be united. And be devoted to being united. Easier said than done sometimes. And then, and then he, and so there's a oneness, there's a unity. And a second chunk, you're going to see there's a, there's a variety or diversity. Said, but remember, you're all going to have different gifts. You're going, to be, you're going to be united under one thing, but you're all going to be different. And, and pulling together toward that one thing. And, and the ultimate thing is that we, would, that we would come to maturity. And so these are the three things we're going to see. Watch for them as we read Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, 
the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended to the lower regions of the earth. He who descended, the lower regions, the earth, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attained the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's what we wanna, we wanna do here, and we want you to see, and that is you have obviously here, following this beautiful prayer and this introduction to the church in chapter three, you have uh, three really practical things to apply yourself to in, order to in order to experience what I'm calling God's dream church all of us get to be a part of it. All of us are invited into it. All of us are. All of us are actually supernaturally that know the Lord. All of us are actually supernaturally gifted to contribute to it in some way. That's what the text is going to say. And he said, and because of that, because of what was paid, because of what's going on, because of how important it is, because of the vital importance of it, we should be devoted to making sure we work together toward that and recognize at the very same time that we're all gifted in a different way and we should never stop trying to grow, keep growing. So, that, so I just said the whole message. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna fill it out and say it again in a more flowery way now. That's what it, that's what it says, I think. And there's a couple sections that are a little, a little mysterious. What is that thing he ascended, he descended? We'll talk about that. That's really very beautiful. Paul calls himself a prisoner uh, my son and I were talking on the phone. I'll tell you a little secret. My son Charles, a pastor at uh, First Baptist Williamston, guess what he's doing right now? Preaching, right? Guess what he's preaching? How did you know? Chuck is preaching through Ephesians, and we're going at the same pace. So he's basically writing the messages, and then I'm preaching them. Now, we each have our own message. You can actually listen. They're, they're very different, but we, we talk all, all, all week. We try to get together on Friday morning when we can, and we meet halfway. We, we have coffee real early in the morning, and we, and we just we noodle on the text. We talk together. And last night, he taught me something. Lewis was present. was on the speakerphone. He said, did you notice a, 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 a commentator I put him onto, and he spent the money and bought the commentary, he said, did you notice that he pointed out that there's a double meaning of prisoner in that first verse? I'm like, didn't notice it. I'm just thinking it means he's a prisoner, and it does. But of course, and I pointed this out before, he's a prisoner of Christ, which is kind of funny that he calls himself a, a prisoner of Christ because he's actually a prisoner of Rome, physically. But he says, no, there's a double meaning. He goes, you know, I'm a prisoner, 
But a little bit later on, he's going to refer to Jesus taking captives. He's saying, and I'm one of those captives. I'm just, he's my Lord. He captured me, and, and I'm his prisoner. It's the, the picture that he uses. That's just a little aside. But look at, the little, look at this little memory device that will help you understand what Paul is doing in Ephesians and help you see the power and, I mean, the, the big deal that you get to be involved in God's church. 110, 2-10, Remember this. It's not original with me. I, I was watching Wheaton Chapel one day, and N.T. Wright was speaking, and he used this little memory. I'm like, well, that's interesting. And so I'm borrowing it and sharing it with you, which I won't share everything that N.T. Wright said, but I will share this. Uh, 110, 2-10, 3-10, 4-10. Notice this. Look at Ephesians 1-10, and you have the heart of what God is doing in the church. He's saying it's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, all things in heaven and on earth. What is God doing? He's uniting heaven and earth. And that's what the prayer, remember Jesus said, he taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what, what happens in Revelation? You got, remember this, as we talked through that, you've got heaven and you've got earth. And at the end, you've got heaven and earth coming together. That is his plan. And his plan is to unite all things in heaven and earth through Christ. That's what Ephesians 1, 10 says. Look at Ephesians 2, 10. And you, you might ask, how is he going to do that? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God, Jesus, in our time, is uniting heaven and earth through, through it, saving us by grace through faith and in gifting and inspiring us to do good works that kind of, in a sense, bring heaven to earth. Now look at 310. In 310 it says, so that through the church, and there it's named, through the church... The various, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And now you get to 410, and ironically, 410 lands us right in the middle of that real mysterious little piece where it says he ascended and he descended. And if you're like I am, I don't want to lose you here, but if you're like I am, your brain kind of goes to the Apostles' Creed when you read that. Are you with me on this? He descended into hell, and the Apostles' Creed says he descended, and it kind of makes you think, what, he, did Jesus go to hell? And then some people, it's, it's not orthodox teaching, but they teach that he, he did part of his suffering in hell. That's not what the Bible teaches. Anyway, that's really interpreting Ephesians 4, 8 through 11 in the light of a misunderstanding of 1 Peter and a misunderstanding of the Apostles' Creed, which originally didn't say that. The Apostles' Creed, when it was originally written, said he descended into Hades. Later on, it's modified to use hell. That confused people. But that's not the issue. We're not teaching the Apostles' Creed or 1 Peter. We're teaching Ephesians. And what Ephesians is saying is he went from heaven to earth. But it's called the lower regions, the earth, and the other three places this is used in the Bible, it's all talking, it all has a connection with Christ, and it's always, always talking about going to the grave. So my point for right now, we're going to get to it a little bit later, and we'll talk about it maybe later on, but my point for right now is this. Ephesians 1.10 says, what's God doing? Uniting heaven and earth. Ephesians 2.10, how is he doing it? Through believers who are, who are doing good works. And, and what's that called? The church. That's 310. And in 410, it, said, and there, it says, and the people, the church, the captives of Jesus, that he ascended on high and he led captives, us, that he captured in his victory, were the spoils of his victory. He gave them supernatural gifts. 
In order that, notice that it's heaven and earth would be united. Do you get it? There's this, this interesting little theme of uniting heaven and earth there. But notice these three things. I'm not, I'm not losing you, am I? Notice these three things. These are the big three hooks we're going to hang this on because I think it's very obvious in the text. And the text talk, is talking here a lot about unity, but it's also talking about a diversity or a variety within that unity. This is important to understand. Look at verses 1 through 6. We'll just read them again, then I'll explain a little something. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And then he says, with humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. 